Hey, I want to welcome you to Bible Christian Church. We're a church that is bringing life to our community through the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Now, um, we are a church. If you've been with us long enough, you know that we're a church that is bringing life to our community. And a large portion of how we bring life is by, is by uh, um, living life in community with one another. And the word we use for that here at BCC is called life groups. Uh, now, we genuinely believe that the best kingdom stuff, um, the most impactful Jesus moments that happen in our lives, um, that happen during the week, don't actually happen in this room, but they happen outside the walls. They, they happen when we, as Jesus followers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, invite people into the kingdom. Uh, we, we believe that those things happen um, maybe when, it's, when we're kind to someone who's rude to us, uh, maybe when we offer hospitality to those who need a friend, um, when we make meals and we serve those who are going through hard and challenging patches in their lives, uh, maybe texting and encouraging scripture uh, to the people that are in our lives. Uh, these are the day-to-day -day things that Jesus does, right? Because we know that Jesus just doesn't come and hang out with us on the weekends, right? But that he wants to be intimately involved in our lives throughout the week. Um, and, and some of you have, have invited groups of people into your home uh, to dig into the word, to share a meal, and to make a difference. And these are the kinds of things that happen in life groups, and, and they encourage us to better follow Jesus together. I want to encourage you, if you're not currently plugged into a community, if you've not made time to connect with other Jesus followers, as you're looking to 2019, and you're going, man, 2018, that was a heck of a year. I don't want to do that again, <laughs> right? Or, or maybe you're like, it was a fantastic year. How are, some, how are some ways that I can grow closer to Jesus? I would encourage you, make this a time where you commit to jumping into community with other Jesus followers, and we've made it very easy. Um, we've got our life groups listed online. We've also got a sign-up sheet where if you sign your name on that sheet, uh, you've essentially committed your entire life. No, I'm just kidding. What we'll do is we'll have a, a life group leader call you and set up a time to meet you and just connect and go, hey, would this life group be a good fit or not? Uh, because we, we know that it's a hard thing to one day go, okay, I'm going to show up to someone's house and hope that I fit in, okay? That, that's, that's kind of, that's difficult and that's a huge leap and we know most people uh, don't want to make that. But we've got sign-up sheets at the coffee bar. If you're not plugged in, I want to invite you to do so. We've got 11 life groups. 11 life groups that are growing, they're thriving, amazing places to be, and we've got some phenomenal leaders that are, being up, that are being raised up in those life groups to launch groups on their own as well. And so our hope in 2019 is to launch uh, five to seven new groups, and we want you to be a part of that, all right? So the entire month of December, we're studying the presence of God, right? We're talking about how the presence, God, God coming into our midst is the greatest gift that we can receive. And so the last couple of weeks, we've talked about um, how God comes to the privileged and then how he comes to the unlikely. And so this week, we want to look at how God comes to the outcast. Now, an outcast is someone who has been rejected by society or a social group. How many of you at some point in your life have been an outcast. Just, have you been an outcast at any point in your life? Sure, absolutely. How did it feel to be an outcast? It was great. No, of course not, right? It, 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 we felt empty, right? Alone, rejected. And I, I, remember, I remember playing basketball in high school. Now, I grew up in, in small town Indiana. How many of you have seen the movie Hoosiers? Anybody seen the movie Hoosiers? Okay, that's my life, 
right? That is, that is life for a kid growing up in small-town Indiana. And, and, and I re- recall my dad was in the grocery store uh, talking to a couple of older gentlemen uh, about my lack of playing time, right? Now, if you're a parent, obviously you want your kid uh, to see, you want your kid to play more, you want him to do well, you want him to be successful. And my dad says to these guys that he wishes the, the coach would give me some more playing time. I was talking about going to college and playing basketball. And, and, and one of them says to him, he says, I don't know what you expect, but you guys just moved here. Now, to put that in perspective, I'd been there since the summer of my, before my eighth grade year. So I've been there about five years but they said, you've just moved here. What do you expect? And, and that statement really, really embodied what our family had felt since we moved to this small community from a larger one. And, and, and what was being said to us was essentially that, that we shouldn't expect to be treated fairly because we were looked at as outcasts. And I know some of you can relate to that story. But let's take a look at, at a group of people in Scripture who were greatly considered outcasts. We're going to be in Luke 2, 8 through 20. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, laying in and, and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. And of course, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard that story before. Most of us even know about shepherds. Most of us know why shepherds are outcasts. But I want to cover that tonight so that we can kind of dig into the background of what God's saying here, okay? Um, last week, we talked about unlikely people in the kingdom, right? And how God entrusted them with his kingdom. Well, not only were the shepherds unlikely, they were also outcasts. The shepherds, or really any shepherds, in this time would have been considered a really sketchy group of people. We would lump them in terms of today, today's culture. How many of you guys have gotten emails from a Nigerian prince wanting to give you money? Right? Okay. They would go in the same, in the same category, not trustworthy characters, right? Now, when something would go missing from a local town or village, it was often the shepherds who would be blamed. They weren't really known by anyone, not really. They had no community other than themselves, and they'd spend days out in the wilderness, often alone. And you know, they probably didn't smell great either, as they'd often keep the animals close to stay warm. And after doing that long enough, you know, your social skills would probably deteriorate a little bit. Okay, stay-at-home moms, you can relate to this. 
You know what I'm saying, right? You're like, okay, I, if I need to talk to an adult because these, these kids are just driving me up the wall, right? So they, they're, they're probably questioning their own sanity at this point, right? And they, they would have also been cer- considered ceremonially unclean, not stay-at-home moms, shepherds, okay? <laughs> Wanted to clear that up, right? As it was their responsibility to handle the dead carcasses of both the sheep that died and for whatever reason, the animals that they had killed to protect the flock. And so these shepherds, they, they didn't participate in the worship experienced by those in the, in the nearest town um, because they weren't allowed. And really, the only, the only people who shepherds were intera- that would interact with that weren't shepherds was because uh, they raised many of the animals that would be sacrificed in the temple. And so the relationship between shepherds and everyone else would have, would have very much been transactional. I'm only going to deal with these people because I have to. And so shepherds, now they have, they have limited interaction with culture, right? They're viewed as second-class citizens. They're not welcome in worship, and people only deal with them if they have to. So to be a shepherd in this time, you would have most certainly been an outcast, right? But as we look back through history, shepherds weren't always outcasts. Did you know that? Like, we just kind of accept that as true. Uh, But in fact, all of Israel can be traced back. All of their leaders, all of their kings, all of the great people in the history of Israel, you know what they were? They were shepherds. No, they weren't sheep. They were shepherds. Right? Abraham, Jacob, Moses, even King David, they were shepherds. Their founding fathers, their most famous king, they were shepherds. Fun Bible trivia fact, who was the first shepherd mentioned in the Bible? Abel. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he was also murdered, but that has nothing to do with our story. The first one murdered, right? But as their culture changed, something's going to stick with you tonight, I promise, okay? But as their culture changed to a more urban one, as, as Israel uh, was, was conquered and, and they went into the, into the hands of, of these conquering nations, the profession of shepherd got pushed further and further out of the mainstream until the time of temple worship when they became kind of a necessary evil so that the middle-class city dweller could purchase a proper sacrifice. And so as time passed, the shepherd became further isolated from the common man until most people no longer knew what they did or understood them at all. And because of their work, they were excluded from worship and they eventually became those people right? You guys know some of those people, right? There's us, and then there's those people. But as we read in Luke, we see that the, that the angels actually came to them declaring the birth of the Savior. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Okay, and, and look closely at this. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's as if the angel is saying, not only is this great news, because chances are if there were great news for, for the us, there probably wasn't great news for the those people. You know what I'm saying? Right? And so, so it's good news for all the people, including the outcasts. And it's interesting because Scripture tells us that the shepherds went and told people, right? And that, they, and, and that the people they told were amazed, but it never actually says that the people did anything about it. Right? And in fact, as we read Luke 2, 18 and 19, it, it, it almost, it's almost saying to us that what they said to the people, the people, they, it didn't matter to them. They were just amazed. Right? Let's read this. Uh, Luke 2, 18 and 19. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Okay? 
But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's as if Scripture is saying that, that Mary is the only one who took them seriously. But these outcasts, they had this, they had this incredible moment where heaven reached out and touched earth. And for some reason, God chose a group of unclean, untrustworthy, sketchy people, and he gave them hope. And this gives us hope, right? But as, as we read through Scripture, we see that this is the character of God. This is his, his modus operandi. This is his, this is his normal behavior. You see, our God is the God who includes the excluded. So let's dig further into the New Testament and see more examples of this. We're going to go into Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. We know this story, right? Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. So Jesus is in this, this preaching moment. Okay, he's, he's actually teaching on divorce and getting ready to teach on wealth. And these people just they just make their way to the front with their kids. We have no idea what the circumstances are behind that. We don't know if, if their kids are in need of healing or if they're just like, hey, that's Jesus and I really want a chance to get close to him. And the disciples are like, are you kidding me? Can't you see he's doing something important here? But Jesus, like he always does, uses this as a teachable moment, not for the kids, but for his disciples. No, bring them here because these children, this is what the kingdom is about. Now, this seems really sweet to us, right? And it is, but you have to consider that, that in this time, children were, were valueless. They were less than valueless. If you were to count a crowd of people, you would not include the children. But Jesus, in this moment, he welcomes this interruption to his ministry, and he gives value to these children. And in this moment, Jesus included the excluded, right? We're going to fast forward in his ministry to Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. Okay, I'm not going to read this, but I think some of us are familiar with the story. Jesus gets out of a boat, and he encounters this guy who is possessed by multiple demons. The demon's name is Legion, right? And, and, and this is crazy. So this guy... He's been, he's been uh, possessed by demons for as long as anybody can remember. He lived in the cemetery. He would cut himself with stones. He was so strong that if, if people tried to chain him up to contain him, and he would break the chains. So get the picture. Scary, strong guy, lives in a cemetery, demon-possessed. It says that he would howl day and night. This guy is ruining property values, Right? He'd make like an excellent supervillain for a movie. But Jesus comes to him. He casts out his demons into pigs, and they all throw themselves off a cliff, right? And so this kind of draws the attention of the surrounding town, you know. I mean, it's a little outside the ordinary for them. And they see Jesus sitting with this guy for as long as they can remember. The guy's been completely nuts, and now he's just sitting there, no longer crazy. And, and what's interesting is as we read Scripture, it says that, that when he saw, or when the townspeople saw Jesus sitting with the man who was once possessed by demons, then they were afraid. <laughs> and they told him, they said, Jesus, you're freaking us out. You need to leave. And he did. 
And the, and the demon, the guy who was demon-possessed, he's like, I want to go with you. But Jesus told him, he said, he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And we know that, that later on, Jesus comes back, and this town just thinks Jesus is amazing because of the testimony of this formerly demon-possessed man, of this out theme emerging here, right? And the theme is maybe not what we think it is. See, when we read scripture, we focus on the shepherds, and we focus on the children, and we focus on the demon-possessed man, because that's how we learn to read scripture. But what about all the normal people in this story? What about all those who are just living their lives, trying to get by, who are doing, doing their thing and just fitting in? People whose lives are going according to plan, or maybe not. The people who heard the shepherds, and they were amazed, but they were like, cool story, bro, went on with their lives, right? These are the people who, who excluded the children, who didn't think that they counted. These are the people that came to Jesus and said, you need to leave because you're freaking us out. And as we read these stories, what we don't understand is we live our normal lives and we try to protect our way of life and, 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 we, and we only engage with people who are just like us, is that, is that in Scripture, we're dangerously close to being those, those secondary characters in Jesus' story. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're dangerously close to rejecting the message of a Savior because the messengers aren't who we expect or want. We're dangerously close to hindering the children because we haven't thought to bring them up close to Jesus. We're dangerously close to the townspeople who want Jesus to leave because he's moved in the lives of people we don't understand or don't want anything to do with. And when we read scripture, too often we identify with the hero or the one who receives the blessing, but the reality is that we really don't understand that, th that these are stories warning those of us who would sit by and be like the ones who would, who would wave the palm leaves as Jesus rode into town on a donkey because we expect Jesus to be one week and then the very next week, we're the ones shouting crucify him because he's not who we thought he was. He's not doing what we expected him to do. And I don't know about you, but I'm haunted by the idea that in the story of the prodigal son, more often than not, I more closely resemble the older brother than I do the prodigal son or the loving father. And if we're honest, we would recognize that too, wouldn't we? See, churches, I read scriptures about the outcast. And listen, some of us can relate to the outcast. But statistically speaking, most of us are going to relate to the freaked out townspeople. Most of us are going to relate to the people who heard the story from the shepherds and move on with our lives. Let me share with you some truth that stepped on my toes this week. I'm going to be in Mark 2, 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Some translations would phrase it, I did not 
come to call respectable people, but outcasts. And what we need to know about Levi is that he's a tax collector, right? In the first century, people would have made jokes about tax collectors that we make about lawyers, right? Right? Okay, like I've never heard a lawyer joke before, right? You see, you see Israel was a conquered nation, right? And, and, and Rome was, was essentially taxing them into poverty. And, and the system that they had set up was, was they, would, they would name somebody a tax collector uh, who, who lived in that area, and they would go and they would collect taxes, and as a way of earning income for themselves, they would skim off the top. So they would charge people more taxes than they actually owed and would get rich doing it, right? So needless to say, they were wildly popular, and uh, Levi's father, what's, what's really interesting about this, that's a Roman name, Alphaeus, but Levi's name is Hebrew. Interesting character, interesting background. And chances are he probably chose the life of a tax collector. But Jesus, this guy's, this guy's known for being a lowlife, and yet Jesus, he, he not only called Levi to come and follow him, but Le Levi's like, Jesus, I'm going to have a party, and I want you to meet all my friends, and it's going to be amazing. And Jesus actually shows up to his party. We've got a lot to learn from that, I think. Of course, we see the religious people, right? They're getting upset. But Jesus tells them, I'm not here for you. I'm here for him. Interestingly, we see that Jesus loves outcasts, but he not only loves outcasts who were born into the outcast life, but he loves those who chose it as well. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't qualify that love. Listen, if you're here today and you've had a rough go at life and you're in a place where you're viewed as less than a person for whatever reason, you need to hear this. Okay, that our God is the God who loves you more fiercely and deeply than you could possibly imagine. Okay, but more than likely you're here today and the reality is that, is that maybe, maybe if we're real honest, life hasn't been as tough as it's been for other people, right? And, and we haven't had that rough of a situation. I mean, we've all got a story right? But some of us don't know what it's like to not know where our next meal's coming from. Some of us don't know what it's like to be in the, in the grip of addiction. Some of us don't know what it's like to, to be in prison. Some of us don't know what it's like to be sexually abused uh, when you had no choice and it's ruined your relationships. You see, church, as I read these scriptures, I, I read this as a call to not pretend to have our stuff together. Because the reality is when, when Jesus says, I haven't come to call the righteous, you know who was righteous in that room? Just one person, and it was Jesus. He didn't come to call those who think they have their stuff together. He didn't come to call those who are pretending and are putting up a false front and, 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 and are trying to be something they're not. He came to people who know that they're broken. And so I, when I read this, I read this as a call to not be the crowd, to not be the normal people. I read this as a call to position ourselves in such a place where, where we can minister to those who are not like us. It's a call to avoid religion and to run to Jesus who wants to use us, listen closely, not to blast our culture for its lack of holiness, but to bless our culture with the care and compassion of Jesus who wraps his arms around those who religious people have pushed away. And as I read the interactions that Jesus has with the outcast, I'm convicted that I haven't done the same. 
as I read the interactions that Jesus has with those who've been excluded, I see the face of a God who comes to those who are far from him and he gives them hope. I want to invite the worship team to come up at this time. Listen, if you identify with the outcast, I want you to hear this today. The God of creation loves you more than you can imagine and wants to invite you into his kingdom where you're accepted and you're given a mission and a purpose. You see, church, I would caution us as we read scriptures like this to read them with humility, to rightly identify ourselves with Holy Spirit as our guide so that we can recognize our mission to the outcasts. Maybe that means some of us need to interact with the people that God has put in our lives that irritate and frustrate us. For others of us, we need to intentionally engage in activities that put us side by side with those who are not like us. See, church, as we process his word, especially in light of the coming of the God who has moved into our neighborhood, who has put on flesh, who has suffered in our place, I would invite us to hear both the challenge that his word calls us to and the encouragement where God puts us on mission.